we love eating barbecues, right? And the other day we were, we were having one and we had lamb chops. Now, lamb chops is a real treat in our house. And what I noticed is my son and I were attacking our lamb chops very differently. And suddenly my son says to me, what are you doing? I said, well, what, what do you mean? He goes, you're cutting off the best bit. And, you know, like a lamb chop, I was cutting off the fat. Uh, and I said, no, son, you know, at my age, I need to kind of cut off the, cut off the fat. So he's like, why? It's, it's the best part. So I went into dad mode, you know, and then medically trying to explain what happens, you know, like if I eat this stuff, you know, it's not good for my heart, my heart will become hard, and he's just not getting it. And he looks at me, and he picks up this fatty, juicy bit, and he goes, but it's so worth it. <laughs> and I just leaves, you know, you your kids have that beautiful moment to kind of humble you. But medically speaking, uh, there are lots of causes to a hard heart, and one of them can be cholesterol from the food we eat. Uh, Another reason can be it's hereditary, it's genetic, you kind of get this, Uh, or maybe some unhealthy habits like smoking or anything like that. But a much bigger question is spiritually, what causes our hearts to harden? Now, we are in the book of Exodus. We're looking at the kind of people that God uses. So right back in the beginning, in chapter 1, we saw the kind of people God uses are those that fear the Lord. Then we saw in chapter 2 that God will use our backgrounds. He will use our family situations. And He will even use our failures to shape us. Then in chapter 3, we come to this burning bush moment. And we said that God will use those that want to be sent by him. God wants to send you. And then we looked in chapter 4, where the Lord tells us, I will use you when you lay down what's in your hand. And then just before Easter, we saw that in chapter 5, that God will use those that bring their disappointments to him. uh, And he calls us to still work on behalf of the people, despite their broken spirits. And that's where we find ourselves today, and we're actually not just in chapter 7, we're from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 11, Uh, but this is the first lesson with a but, right? Uh, We will see that God desperately wants those that soften their hearts and humble themselves, but He will also use those that harden their hearts to Him. Right, the definition of an autopsy is a post-mortem exam to discover the cause of death or the extent of disease. Now, today, we are going to do an autopsy on the living heart, and we're going to do it with the help of this guy named Pharaoh. He's going to be our case study. Now, if you went for a medical checkup, you would want the truth, right? Tell me how it is. Uh, And that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to tell you the truth, and then we'll unpack it. So we'll do that with three points. The first one is, the heart is sick. Then we'll look at how to make it worse. And finally, we're going to look at God will help one way or another. So firstly, the heart is sick, right? Now, the stage is set for a major showdown. I mean, this is much bigger than any crows and power game. It is an incredible showdown. But when you look at the teams, you're thinking, oh man, this is a gross mismatch here. You got two 80-year-old men, one's 80 and one's 83, and they have a stick, a stick, right? And they're coming against the dictator of the most powerful nation of the then known world. 
But what this guy, Pharaoh, doesn't know is that these two old guys, they have the Lord on their side, and that changes everything. Right? We know Pharaoh is a really bad man. And as you could see from the part of Scripture that Abba read for us today, you might be tempted to ask, well, wait, wait, hang on, who's really calling the shots here, right? Is it, is it God? If so, why would he allow all this? And why does he allow the showdown to become so violent and intense? I think that every time I watch a, a Crow's Power game, I'm thinking, why is it so violent and intense? But this is what it is. So Moses and Aaron, they walk into to Pharaoh's presence. But before that, the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron, and he says, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Pharaoh says, prove yourself, guys. Come on, show me a miracle. And that's exactly, exactly what Moses and Aaron do. Aaron throws down the staff. There's your miracle, Pharaoh. And it becomes a snake. Pharaoh panics, calls his magicians, says, quickly, do the same, do the same. They do it, and they also become snakes. But Aaron's snake eats their snakes. You see, Pharaoh got exactly what he asked for. He got the miracle. He sees the power and the evidence of God. But what does he do? This is what it says in verse 13. It says, still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, it doesn't say in that verse who hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? It doesn't say, was it Pharaoh or was it God? And that's exactly the point, right? It's describing the state that Pharaoh's heart was already in. Before all this began, Pharaoh's heart was naturally hard. It was naturally sick, right? It's like going to a doctor, and before he's even looked at it, he goes, you're sick already. You know, I, I used to think that if people just saw a miracle, they would believe, right? If people just heard about Loz and Gav's story about little Savannah, they would believe. But that's not true. People saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle, and they loved the show. They loved the show. The people, crowds gathered but they didn't believe what he was teaching them. And Pharaoh is exactly the same way. Now, just before we think, oh, Pharaoh, man, how could you be so thick-skulled? How can you not see it? Just imagine, right, you're Pharaoh for a minute, right? You're basically thought of as a god. <laughs> you're a top dog, right? You have supreme power in all of Egypt. You click your fingers and things happen. You sit on the throne. Everyone fears you, and you like it. And suddenly, these two old guys come up to you, and they say to you, Pharaoh, you need to change. Because that's really what Moses and Aaron were saying to him, right? These two guys, they're a threat to your throne. They're a threat to the way you live, your reputation. Man, everyone was fearful of Pharaoh. He ruled in Egypt with fear, but he also was feared by all the nations around Egypt. And now they're saying, Pharaoh, you let, you let your slave labor go. That's just not Pharaoh's style, right? Imagine today, two old guys, 
they managed to sneak into North Korea, and they come up to Kim Jong-un, and they say, Mr. Kim, let two million of your people go. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> right? doesn't matter what the miracle these two guys are going to do, it's probably not going to happen. And we also have this insight into Pharaoh in chapter 5. He says, who's the Lord that I should obey him? Right? The real issue there is pride. Right? Pharaoh thinks, I'm on the throne. I'm greater than anyone else. No one tells me what to do. See, and the truth there is, Pharaoh would rather believe a lie because he's got exactly what he asked for. Prove yourselves. Miracle. But because his heart was sick, you know, one of the symptoms of a sick heart is pride. Because it is so full of pride, he won't listen. And he couldn't believe. You know, Romans 1 has this verse where it says, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And that's what Pharaoh's done here, right? He would rather believe the lie, I'm on the throne, I answer to no one, I live exactly how I want to live, there is no one greater. Now, the question for us is, well, what about us, right? Are our hearts like Pharaoh? Are our hearts naturally hard to the things of God? Well, this is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17. It says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Not just a little bit sick, it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right, so when someone says to you, just follow your heart, you want to turn around and say to them, thanks for the bad advice, right? Because that's what it is. They're saying, follow something that is deceitful, follow something that's sick, mm, no thanks. But you see, spiritually speaking, we all have an hereditary heart condition that is sick. We need help. The truth is, all of us love being on the throne. We love having control. We're naturally rebellious against God. Right? We're naturally selfish and sinful. For those of you who are parents, you see this in your kids, right? I mean, you never need to teach your kids to tell lies, only to tell the truth. You never need to teach your kids to be selfish, right? That just comes naturally to them. You need to teach them to be generous. You never need to teach your kids to be disobedient, only obedient, Right? I can remember the day that this came home for me in a very real way. Uh, I came home from work and uh, came, in, came home and my little boy, he must have been about two or maybe a little bit younger, and he was playing with his little cars on the floor and comes up to me, gives me a big hug, and then he goes back to playing with his cars. And then I walk up to him and I say, oh, it's, it's nice you're playing with your cars. It's time to pack up. Can you pack up your cars? He doesn't even look at me, just no. And I said, well, um, no, I said it's time to pack up your cars. Again, doing, doing, doing. No. And I freaked out at this point. I'm like, honey, we've got a problem. My wife comes running and she goes, what's the matter? And I said, our son. He said, no, he's defective. Well, I could be, he must belong to you. <laughs> but you know, the truth is, your child has a sick heart, just like you. 
We need help. We need help. But how do we make it worse? How do we make it worse? You see, Pharaoh had this sign, and he's, he's not impressed, right? He goes, even my magicians can do that, that little miracle trick that you've got there, right? And we don't know whether it was by sleight of hand. You know how a magician pulls a rabbit out of a hat? It's a trick. It's not, they don't really create a rabbit. Or it could have been by demonic power that they were able to kind of copy this thing. We don't know. But what we do know is the Lord then, in his justice, begins to judge Pharaoh and Egypt in the form of ten plagues. And they get progressively more severe. It's like, Pharaoh, I'm trying to get your attention. And he starts off actually very gently, so to speak. He's given him his miracle. First plague, he turns water into blood. Now, that's pretty gross, and it's you know, it's uncomfortable, but it's not life-threatening. Then you go through the plagues of the frogs, the gnats, and the flies, and as Australians, we know how uncomfortable and unpleasant flies can be. But still, it's not really life-threatening, you know? But then you get the plague of livestock. Suddenly, this is your property that's being affected. And then boils, right? Now your health is under threat. Then hail, crops taken out. There goes part of your food. And then locusts, whatever food was left is gone. You are facing starvation. And then darkness, complete darkness, loss of all hope. And finally, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Now, what we need to see is these judgments are not just progressive judgment in their severity. They are actually an attack on the gods of Egypt itself. Each plague is actually attacking one of the gods and the idols of Egypt. The Egyptians had the, the god of the Nile called Happy or, okay, what, or Harpy or whatever. What a great name for a god. What's the name of your god? Happy. Okay, they had happy, and God comes in this powerful demonstration, and he shows happy is not a real God. Your idol will not save you. Your idol will not protect you, and God deals with happy, puts him aside. But Pharaoh's heart is unmoved. It just remains hard. Then this interesting thing happens in the second plague, right? The Egyptians had this other God. She was a goddess who had the head of a frog. And it's if God was saying, well, you like frogs that much, I'll give you a whole bunch of them. And all the frogs come and they fill Egypt. Can you imagine, right? In your bathroom, in your home, everywhere you look. Even Pharaoh had them in his palace and he doesn't like it. He calls Aaron and Moses and he says, take them away. Take them away. Moses even says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I'll give you the honor of telling me when. I'll give you the honor of telling me when. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And that's exactly how it happened. The next day, the frogs die, and they put them all in big piles, and it says, the land stank. The land stank. What does Pharaoh do? Chapter 8, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw there was a respite, a relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Right? There is this intense time of very much discomfort and unple unpleasant, and suddenly there's relief. And what does he do? He hardens his heart. 
You know, we might not have gods like happy and heket in our garden or painted on our walls, but we do have idols in our lives. We have those things that we're really relying on for happiness and peace and joy and satisfaction, right? They're the things whether consciously or unconsciously we put above the Lord and we pursue them. You know, sometimes because God loves you so much, he will challenge your idols. He will show you where your trust really is, where your joy really is, and he will show you that he is greater than your idol. He is the source of your satisfaction, not your idol. If you will listen, if you will listen. Let's just say that one of those idols is happiness, right? The number of parents that I've spoken to that will say, no, I don't, it doesn't really matter what my child does, I just want them to be happy. But maybe you go through a trial or a season when happiness is taken away when you're not happy, and you cry out to the Lord, and you go like, Lord, I've been putting this above you. I want to find who I am in you and nothing else. It's you I want to seek. And then suddenly the trial is over. There's a little bit of relief. And what do we do? We can go back to the very thing, the very thing that we were doing before, and go back to our idol of happiness you see, and it can, be, it can be the idol of comfort, of power, of money. And we can choose to believe the lie that they will satisfy us. You know, there's this, this really great movie, Ice Age 4. Uh, as a parent with young kids, I only ever get to watch movies with talking animals. So out of the talking animal range, this is one of the best ones. And there's a character called Captain Gut. And he's this, this gorilla-type character. And right towards, the, there's, there's a picture of him, right? There's Captain Gut. And right towards the end of the movie, Captain Gut, he's on a little iceberg, and he sees this beautiful female kind of gorilla, and she's holding a piece of fruit. There she is, right? And she's enticing him. It's so beautiful. This looks so good. Come on, just come. Just come to me, Captain Gut. That's what she says. I'll satisfy you. I'll give you all the pleasures that you want. Just come here. And as he gets closer, he paddles over. And as he gets closer, he realizes it's not as beautiful as it seemed. It's actually a monster. There it is. And right at the end, she just devours him, just eats him, one gulp. As you know, that's, that's the truth about our idols. Our idols pretend to promise us so much and yet, when we get close to them, we realize it's a monster that will devour you. You see, Pharaoh makes it worse by hardening his own heart. God had defeated his idols, and yet Pharaoh goes straight back to them. You know, the, the Greek word for harden there is, is to become strong, to strengthen. And it's as if Pharaoh strengthened himself. He goes, I'm going to give myself the strength to do what I want to do. You see, in fact, in the first five plagues that God sent on Egypt, 
we find that actually it's Pharaoh hardening his own heart, or it was the state of his heart that was in, he was in already. So let's look at the plagues quickly. First plague, it says Pharaoh's heart became hard. Second plague, harden his own heart. Third plague, Pharaoh's heart was hard. It's the state it was in. Fourth plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. First plague, Pharaoh's heart was hard. And then it changes. You get to the sixth plague and it says this. It says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, in, in, from plague six to ten, we hear four times how God himself hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, we can get focused on that and we can forget that for the first five plagues, it was Pharaoh himself, the condition of his heart and his own choice to harden himself that got him into the situation, right? God called Pharaoh, humble yourself. He showed him all the knowledge and power of God. He showed him that actually God is the highest authority. And Pharaoh, you cannot sit on the throne because there's already one on the throne. And Pharaoh's response was really just to wave God off. You know, there are many people today who just wave God off. Yeah, there might be, there might be some sort of power up there, and they, they just kind of dismiss him. Five times Pharaoh hardens his own heart. In the third plague, like even Pharaoh's magicians, like this is the plague of the gnats, even Pharaoh's magicians look and they say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. It is obvious where this power comes from. We cannot manipulate this. It is God himself who is doing this. There is clear evidence. It is plain. But Pharaoh again chooses to believe the lie. This is what it says in Romans 1. It says, The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Pharaoh was without excuse. You know, people can have all the evidence for God, they can see it in creation. They can see his power. And they can still choose to suppress the truth, push it down. You know, unbelievers can know a lot about God. They can know their Bibles better than we do. They can have a full grasp. That yes, there must be a God up there and all that kind of stuff. But it's not enough. It's not enough until they are prepared to bow the knee Get off the throne of their lives and give it to him and have a personal relationship with him. It is not enough. So what does this mean for Pharaoh and what does it mean for us? You see, when human evil goes unchecked and you just need to open up your newspaper or open up a news app on your phone and you'll see this, bad things happen. People never become better apart from God. And bad people can sometimes turn into monsters. Exodus is showing us that Pharaoh, Pharaoh is responsible for the evil in his heart. 
But there is a point in the story. There is a point in the story after the fifth plague that God says, all right, now you have chosen this way and I'm still gonna use you for my own good purposes. And that's when we see God will help either way. He will help, right? Imagine the plague of locusts. This is after the plague of hail. It's come, it's taken out the crops. Those crops would have been used for food and a little bit for clothing, right? So no designer clothes that year in Egypt. It hurts, but it's not the end of the world. We've still got another crop coming. And then we have the locusts who just come and destroy everything, right? Hope is gone. People are going to starve. Moms and dads are going to watch their kids starve. So you look to your leader, you look to the king, you look to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, what will you do? What will you do? See, and Pharaoh is the epitome of human evil. He's what happens, right, when a, a heart continues to harden itself against God. You get, you get a society and you get an Egypt that's building its wealth on the backs of the abused and the oppressed and the enslaved. But now it gets to the point where Pharaoh is even prepared to place his own reputation and pride above the well-being of his people. To the point where he's prepared to see his own people starve, but be hard enough to refuse to repent. How gracious is God that he gives him chance after chance after chance. And then he gets to the point, he says, no, Pharaoh, now I will harden your heart. As if he's saying to Aaron, let me help you on the path that you've chosen. You want to go that way? Let me help you down that path. And it's as if God gave him the strength to do that, what he had already decided in his heart to do. Paul writes about this in, in Romans 9, and he says this. He says, therefore, he, that being God, has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. You see, Pharaoh sees, Paul sees in Pharaoh's heart, that hard heart, a pattern of what was happening in his day too, right? He saw that the Jews came and Jesus preached to them the gospel, the way of salvation, but they hardened their hearts to him. Their pride didn't allow them to see the gift of salvation he was offering, and Paul saw that the worst possible injustice of the time was Jesus executed on a cross. Jesus, fully God, fully man, he only ever preached the truth. He healed the sick. And yet, that's what the world wanted. Let's nail him to a cross. It was the worst injustice the world has ever, ever seen. And Paul says that came about because of this hardness of heart. And then he says this, but... But no evil, there is no human evil that will stop God's purposes to bless. There is no human evil that will stop God's plan to bring about salvation. You see, it was actually God's plan all along, all along to bring blessings to the nation, right? Their hardening, when the Jews hardened themselves to the gospel, it actually says that's a good thing because it spread the gospel throughout the world. People just took the gospel and we, the Gentiles, get to enjoy the gospel because they harden themselves. And God says, I harden them so that it would go out. You know, the point of the story 
is not about God that hardens people to bring about evil. Rather, God is saying, it's a warning, don't be like Pharaoh. Don't harden your heart to him. See, I think there's, there's two reasons why Pharaoh, on a personal level, didn't, who couldn't respond. And that's not made explicit in the text, but it is from the rest of the Bible. And the first one is that the cost was too high. You see, Pharaoh had to get off the throne. Pharaoh had to give up his slave labor. And it is true. It is true. Whether you've wandered far from God or you've never come to him before and you come to him, there there is a cost. There are some things that you will need to lay down at his feet and give up. And Jesus said in the Gospels, right, he said, if a man builds a tower, he will count the cost before he starts building. So if you are doing that and you are counting the cost, what does it mean to come back to the Lord? What does it mean to become a Christian? That's a good thing. It's a good thing to count the cost. But you have to. You have to come to the conclusion that God is worth it, that he is worth it, that he is greater than anything else. You have to come to the conclusion that Pharaoh refused to come to. And then I think another one is, is personal humility. You know, if, if God, the living God, if he is real, then it means I'm not on the throne. And Pharaoh didn't want to get off the throne. You know, there is this wrestle in our hearts to get down off the throne of our lives. You see, Pharaoh had many, many, many warnings. And it's a mistake to harden your hearts to God. Right? You can see that God is true. You can see that he's up there. You can see it in the evidence. But yet, you can refuse to yield to him. To come to him in humility. To yield to his ways and to follow him. You know, the strange things happen in our human heart, right? In, In our mind. When we have these evil urges and they go unbroken, they go unchecked. It ends in disaster. It ends with us being separated from God. But yet God is so gracious, right? So gracious. Gives him chance after chance to turn back. How, how, how many chances would you have given to Pharaoh? I reckon after the first two, Pharaoh, you're done. Right? You're not getting this. That's the end. God keeps giving him chances. You know, for some of us, God is giving you a chance this morning to come back to him to surrender to him. It is true that sometimes a person will cement themselves in a destructive path. And God can, and sometimes he will allow our evil, our evil, to destroy us. But that's not his will. That's not his will for you. He wants you to come to him with a humble heart. He wants you to know that you are not Pharaoh. You are not Pharaoh. When you come to Christ, you are in Christ. And what that means is he takes our sick hearts, right? The Bible calls it a heart of stone. And he gives us a heart of flesh. Soft towards him. Soft to the things of God. Hebrews 3 says it like this. It says, today, today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts in the rebellion, right? And the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Israelites now. They'd just come out of Egypt. They had seen all the miracles, and yet they were tempted to harden their hearts. And Paul says, no, today, today, don't wait for tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You see, sin will deceive us that what the world has to offer is so much better. Sin will tell us that our idols are enough, that they will sustain us. Sin deceives us that we are guaranteed tomorrow. And here Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, today, today, don't harden your heart. You see, sin deceives us that we are the authors of our lives. That's not true. That's not true. When we share in Christ, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one in which we take refuge. He is the one in which we live, move, and have our being. He's worth it. In Exodus, we're talking about the kind of people God uses. And the kind of people God uses are those that are humble, that will tremble at his word. They're the people who will respond to him. They will allow him to soften their hearts. They will allow him to examine their hearts, to deal with our pride, to deal with our idols. The kind of people God uses are those that will get off the throne of their lives and allow him to be Savior and Lord. Guys, that's God's will for you. That's his will for you. My encouragement to you is don't harden your hearts today, but soften your hearts to him. Let me pray for you. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing about God's goodness. Father God, Father, we, we tremble at your word. Father, we are so thankful for the cross. We are so thankful for the resurrection. We are thankful that we can come before you and that we can have life in you and you alone. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for everyone here, Lord God, that our hearts would be soft to you. Lord, that if we hear your voice today, that we wouldn't become hard-hearted. We wouldn't wave you off, but we would allow you to soften us. We thank you so much that your grace is truly enough. Lord, we love you and we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.